Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot as she called us to live to a higher standard each day. To not be satisfied with just a little religion in our lives as a substitute for what God wants, that he wants our best. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we'll be thinking about a clear Christmas gift. As we consider the song, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, and about the gift of peace. Joining us today will be a friend of Elizabeth, Jean Hamilton, and we'll talk about a simple thing that Elizabeth taught her. Also, Bob Lapine, longtime radio host, talks about the best tuna fish sandwich and how that relates to Elizabeth Elliot. That and more coming up. First, though, it's Gateway to Joy 177. It came upon the midnight clear. Have you sung that song already a few times this year? You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you again today about Christmas. It's interesting to me to notice how often the idea of silence is mentioned in the Christmas carols. Probably the most familiar Christmas carol in America is Silent Night. Silence and holiness around the mother and child. And I referred the other day to O Little Town of Bethlehem, which has a stanza that begins, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And then another very familiar one is, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. That glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. What came upon the midnight clear. I want us to think about some of these Christmas carols that probably most of us have been familiar with since before we can remember. And we walk through a jammed department store and we hear these carols piped over the intercom system, the PA system, and we hear them on street corners and we sing them in church and we hear them on the radio and on the TV. And we really don't think a whole lot about them, but I just want to take this time to sort of go back over words that may be known by heart, but we've never really thought about them. It came upon the midnight clear. Well, I'm sure that for years and years I never thought about that at all. What is it that came upon the midnight clear? Well, it was that glorious song what was the glorious song? Well, it was a song the angels sang to those simple, ordinary, hard-working shepherds that were down there in the fields keeping watch over their flocks. And what was the message? Peace. In verse 3, stanza 3, and I have an Episcopal hymn book here in front of me, so it includes stanza 3, which is very often omitted from other hymn books. This is what it says. Yet with the woes of sin and strife the world has suffered long. Beneath the heavenly strain have rolled 2,000 years 
of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the tidings which they bring. O hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. I was particularly taken by that phrase, 2,000 years of wrong, and I have a sneaking suspicion that one reason that this third stanza has been omitted from a good many hymn books is that people might think it was too discouraging and too depressing. But Christians are the people who ought to be able to look most steadily and serenely at the actual facts and remember the unshakable and unchangeable promises of God and the other dimension in which these things are understood. So even though it was 2,000 years ago that the angels sang peace on earth and beneath the heavenly strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong, the end of that stanza is hush the noise and hear the angels sing. I want to read to you from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. I love this passage and I remember when I was learning Greek that it was the first chapter that I read in Greek as we were studying Koine. And it's really very easy to read, especially if you know the English as well as I did. Of course, my mind was all the time making an interlinear translation. It's couched in the simplest words. There's hardly a single word that would be difficult for anyone. But it has the most profound truths. I remember my Greek professor saying to us, the book of John is the easiest book in the Bible to translate and the most difficult to understand, to really grasp. And when you think and ponder words like these, it is mind-boggling to realize who that baby was that came at Christmas time. Here's what John says. When all things began, the Word already was. The Word dwelt with God. And what God was, the Word was. Now this word is capitalized. The word word is capitalized here because, as we know, the Word was God. The Word then was with God at the beginning. Through Him all things came to be. No single thing was created without Him. All that came to be was alive with His life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines on in the dark, and the darkness has never mastered it. There appeared a man named John sent from God. He came as a witness to testify to the light that all might become believers through him. He was not himself the light. He came to bear witness to the light. The real light, which enlightens every man, was even then coming into the world. He was in the world, but the world, though it owed its being to him, did not recognize him. He entered his own realm, and his own would not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who have yielded him their allegiance, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of any human stock or by the fleshly desire of a human father, 
but the offspring of God himself. So the Word, capital W again, the Word became flesh. He came to dwell among us, and we saw his glory. Such glory as befits the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So what was it that happened? What was that shining in the dark streets? What did the angels sing about? Just this, that the first time in God's history, God, in visible, physical form, came to the earth. Visible, physical form. Not a full-grown, strong man, but a tiny, wrinkled, helpless baby. You know, we read the old myths and legends, and again and again this theme recurs of the gods coming to earth, the gods disguising themselves in some human form, perhaps visiting a poor carpenter or walking through the streets of a village as an unknown beggar. All those stories of the gods, they, in some dim way, shadow the true story of the true God. This time, it actually came true. This time, God, who made the heavens and the earth, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the prophets, the God of the Psalms, that God humbled himself and became an ordinary man. In so strange and mysterious a way, the Creator, the Infinite Majesty, via the strange and mysterious way that all of us come, born of a woman, a child. Unto us a child is born. Have you thought about the fact that it was for us, for you and me? That child is born for us, for our salvation. One of the ancient creeds says, who for us men and for our salvation became man, came down from heaven, and became a man born of a woman. Do you believe those words? If you can believe that the Lord God was willing to take upon himself the form of a servant, the form, first of all, of a helpless baby, and become a servant, and walk the dusty roads of the Holy Land as an itinerant rabbi, if we can believe that he did that, I think we can believe those words that I say at the beginning of every program. You are loved with an everlasting love. It was God's idea before he ever created the world that he himself would have to become not just a baby, but even a slain lamb. All these are ways in which God himself has revealed the grace and the truth. And in this passage that I read, that last verse, 
says the Word became flesh. He who was in the beginning with God, he actually was God. Through him all things were made. That Word became flesh, came to live with us. And we saw his glory, such glory as befits the Father's only Son. I hope that this Christmas is going to be a more meaningful one. All the celebration, all the songs, and the quietness will be reminders of what Christmas means. Gateway to Joy 177, it came upon the midnight clear. Well, we'll be hearing later on from Bob Lapine, longtime radio host, as he talks about spending some time at Elizabeth's home, about a surprising radio choice that he found that Elizabeth made, and about some Elizabeth Elliott counsel. That's coming later. Right now, though, let's hear from Elizabeth's friend, Jean Hamilton. At this time of the year, when we enjoy some of the simple things about the Christmas message, Here's a thought about a simple thing that Elizabeth taught her. I think of her, you know, so many times because I just remember her encouraging us that when we go into a public restroom, we should leave it better than we found it. So I think of her when I go, when I do that. (laughs) And it was a joy getting to be with her. I just think about the times I was in her home and when she would play the piano and we'd sing hymns and, you know, she was just pleasant to be around. Longtime Charleston friend, Jean Hamilton. Well, this is certainly a time of gift-giving. How about the gift of peace? What a great gift that would be. The Prince of Peace, who came down from heaven, lived among us, died for us, and rose again. Let's consider the gift of peace. Gateway to Joy 178. The Word became flesh. God became a baby and dwelt among us. He has walked these roads. He has subjected himself to everything that human beings are subjected to. He was tempted as we are tempted, and he has been through the valley. He has been over the course. The Word was God. And I'd like for us to go back to the most ancient book in the Bible, the book of Job. And in chapter 12, we read this, wisdom and might are his. With him are firmness and understanding. If he pulls down, there is no rebuilding. If he imprisons, there is no release. If he holds up the waters, there is drought. If he lets them go, they turn the land upside down. That is the one who became a baby, the one who has the power to pull down and there's no rebuilding, the power to imprison and there's no release, the power to hold up the waters and there's drought, and the power to let them go, and they turn the land upside down. And then in the 38th chapter of Job, we have a magnificent description of who God is. This is when Job has finally shut up after pouring out chapter after chapter of his complaints and arguments with God and questions. And then it says the Lord answered Job out of the tempest. 
Who is this whose ignorant words cloud my design in darkness? Brace yourself and stand up like a man. I will ask questions, and you shall answer. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you know and understand. Who settled its dimensions? Surely you should know. Who stretched his measuring line over it? And I'm skipping here. Who set its cornerstone in place? Who watched over the birth of the sea when it burst in flood from the womb? When I wrapped it in a blanket of cloud and cradled it in fog? I'd like us to pause right there. Here's Almighty God likening the tremendous ocean to a tiny infant. And he's saying, I watched over the birth of the sea when it burst in flood from the womb. And then he says, I wrapped it in a blanket of cloud and cradled it in fog. Just as a father might pick up that squirming, wet form of his newborn child and wrap it in a blanket. Here's God talking to Job about his power. In all your life, have you ever called up the dawn or shown the morning its place? Have you taught it to grasp the fringes of the earth and shake the dog star from its place? Have you descended the springs of the sea or walked in the unfathomable deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you ever seen the doorkeepers of the place of darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the world? Which is the way to the home of light? Have you visited the storehouse of the snow or seen the arsenal where hail is stored? Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose Orion's belt? Well, I haven't time to read the whole chapter. That's the 38th chapter of Job. But when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, do you think of that staggering contrast God the Father Almighty, the one who watched the birth of the sea, the one who set the dog star in its place and built the storehouses of the snow. Do you think of him born of a virgin? Do you believe that? We Christians claim that we do. We affirm our faith. All Christians believe that. There are many different varieties of Christians and different labels, aren't they? But you can't be a Christian and not believe in God the Father Almighty and in his Son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. Those are the tenets of our faith. We mouth these stupendous truths. Do we stop, ponder, marvel? Do we ever shut up? long enough to grasp who it was who lay, perhaps squalling like any newborn, that thin cry that any mother knows in that cattle shed. One of the most beautiful expressions 
of the humiliation, the humbling of Almighty God when he came into earth as a baby is found in a poem written back in the 17th century by Richard Crashaw. And I've sent this out many times on Christmas cards. I feel as though there's no expression of what the incarnation was about more magnificent than Crashaw's words. And I read them myself every Christmas. This is just a part of Crashaw's longer poem. But this describes what happened. That the great angel-blinding light should shrink his blaze to shine in a poor shepherd's eye. That the unmeasured God so low should sink as prisoner in a few poor rags to lie. That from his mother's breast he milk should drink, who feeds with nectar heaven's fair family. That a vile manger his low bed should prove who in a throne of stars thunders above. That he whom the sun, S-U-N, that he whom the sun serves should faintly peep through clouds of infant flesh. That he, the old eternal word, should be a child and weep. That he who made the fire should fear the cold that heaven's high majesty his court should keep in a clay cottage by each blast controlled, that glory's self should serve our griefs and fears and free eternity submit to years, let our overwhelming wonder be. The peace on earth that the angels sang about. What does this mean? The coming of Jesus brings peace to us because it unites us with the source of our being and gives us life. He came to us and he asks us to open the door to him, to surrender ourselves in oneness of being with him who is life. If our lives give glory to God, then they will also bring peace to men. But there is no peace except from the Prince of Peace. And I think that's one thing that we need to be reminded of, especially at Christmas time. We all know those words, peace on earth. And we look around and we say, what a hollow mockery. What a screaming farce. Where's the peace? Why is it that for 2,000 years men are still fighting? Well, the answer is because we have not united ourselves with him who is the Prince of Peace. That's what all our lives are meant to be, a union with him, a surrender to him, an identifying of ourselves with him, a giving glory to God. If all is done in obedience to him, then all our most humble tasks, most homey and human tasks, can give glory to God. Now I know that there are some children listening to this program, 
and I'm talking about profound things that are maybe much too deep for you to understand. If you were a shepherd, you might give Jesus a lamb for Christmas. If you were a wise man, you might be able to bring gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh. But most of us are just very ordinary folks. And the one thing that God wants more than anything else, far more important to him than a lamb or even than gold, is our hearts. He wants us to give our hearts to him first of all. And when we do this and live our lives in humble obedience with him, then we can begin to give peace to others. Can you think of a more wonderful Christmas gift that you could give to someone else than the peace of God? Peace, you know, is really as infectious as panic. But if my own soul is quietly at rest in God, then others will share my peace because I share his. The gift of peace. Well, before we go, let's hear from Bob Lapine. He spent nearly three decades hosting Family Life Today, a nationally syndicated radio program. One of the things we enjoy at the Christmas season is getting together with family and friends. And Bob talks about a time when he visited Elizabeth and Lars in their home. Uh, I remember I'd flown in to Boston the night before and had driven about an hour north to where they were living. I'd stayed in a, a hotel nearby and we were scheduled to meet for lunch at 11.30. And so uh, I knocked on the door and Elizabeth came to the door. She was in the kitchen making lunch for the three of us. She was making tuna salad sandwiches, which we had for lunch. And I remember she was listening to the radio and she was listening to uh, Dr. Laura, the, the radio talk show where Dr. Laura gave advice, not biblical advice, but just advice to people who were experiencing all kinds of, of uh, life challenges. And I remember laughing at the fact that Elizabeth Elliot was listening to Dr. Laura. And then I remember thinking how much more sure and solid and stable was the counsel we would get from Elizabeth on these matters than what was being offered um, from people like Dr. Laura, because Elizabeth's wisdom was anchored in, in the scriptures. And um, I remember that being the best tuna fish sandwich I'd ever eaten <laughs> because of the company and because of the joy of being with them in their home. Longtime radio host Bob Lapine. Well, it looks as though our time together is coming to an end. Let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you as you got some exercise, wherever we found you today. Thanks for letting us join you. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. Whether it's talks, devotionals, videos, Gateway to Joy programs, or other resources, check out elizabethelliot.org. Hey, maybe you'll have some time to leave a review. Uh, we had a response from South Africa saying, My entire walk with Christ was changed to be more firm and grounded when I encountered this podcast and the YouTube. Elizabeth is my role model. So grateful for these talks. 
Well, thank you from South Africa. We appreciate that response. Hey, until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms.